afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. As you know, Sam's been out dealing with some important stuff, important stuff. But tonight, thankfully, very good friend of mine, Gene, is joining, and we're doing a, a film that we've never done a a mobster or gangster film on Celluloid Pudding before. We're doing a Scorsese favorite, Goodfellas. And Gene has been nice enough to come on here because you love the film Goodfellas, don't you? I actually do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I had asked you this, like, of the mo- of all the mob genre, like, is this your favorite? And you said, what did you tell me? It is because it reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, I mean that in a positive way. <laughs> that's that's a little scary. You also said that you love uh, The Godfather, but I said that there's no way in hell that Sam would ever let me do The Godfather with anybody else except for her. So, I I respect that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about it reminds you of your childhood? I think the era, because I grew up in the 80s. Okay. Uh, I'm from New York. The food just rem- it just resonated with me. The whole and the pantsuits and the eyeliner and the verbiage. Oh, yeah. The lingo. Yeah. Yeah, the lingo. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts in New York did you did you grow up? Because you, you um, shared a little bit about that, and it's, it's yes, kind of I was everywhere. Born, yes, I was born in Manhattan, um, and we lived on the Upper West Side off 205th off Broadway, um, which is almost to Inwood, which is the far north section of Manhattan, closest to the Bronx. Okay. And I moved to Long Island when I was nine, and I have I had the best childhood. Just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> what well, I did just close knit neighborhood. Yes, and family, and we were thick as thieves, as they like to say. And my grandparents were all born and raised in New York City, and I worked in the city when I graduated high school. Um, so it just it's it's just home for me. I mean, Florida is my home now, but Long Island and New York will always be my home. I feel the same way about Florida. I, I, lately, though, it, it's not the Florida I remember growing up, which no, is really – Yeah. And um, that has nothing to do with the development. <laughs> exactly. Do, I'm like, Florida has no chill anymore. I don't know what happened. We used to be so right. laid back. Uh, right. Well, it was invaded by Northerners. So. <laughs> well, that's not even fair, though. I mean, it, it, just, <laughs> it, it just isn't. You know, it's, it was invaded by attitudes. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It was invaded yeah. by attitudes. It's it's not a, yeah. a north south thing. It was invaded by attitudes. I was going to ask you this film is is supposed to be set in Brooklyn even though I guess th- there was a lot of shooting that was done in Queens. Um Right. And I was going to ask you do, did you have any family that grew up in Brooklyn or how well do you know Brooklyn? I know Brooklyn. Uh my family that I do have there was from Sheepshead Bay. Okay. Um which is a really nice uh Brooklyn is beautiful. Even back then, and it, it still is today. It's, it, Brooklyn's the new Manhattan, so to speak. Why? And I also had. I was curious, like, how did that? Uh, like, Brooklyn does have a certain aesthetic to it. So, c- can you kind of elaborate a little bit, or? Well, I mean, it's a lot of um, old, a lot of brownstones there. That's what that's what I remember about Brooklyn: brownstones. Okay. And those are, if you can picture a house, a tall house, and most of them had three stories. So it's very common, and it still is today, that a whole family would live together. Three generations would live in the same um, house. And that's the first floor, the second floor, and the third floor. And each had their own unique little kitchen. So it was basically three apartments in one. But 
if you were lucky enough when I know a lot of immigrants that came to this country in the early 1920s and were lucky enough to get a brownstone and we do had we've had a couple of family members that did um and that's how they were able to afford it they their parents came and lived with them and then um as their children grew up and got older they never move out that <laughs> they just move <laughs> up or down up or and up and or we, down we spoke about this before you used a phrase I've never heard of it before. What, what did you call it? A, a high ranch? It was a high ranch. Yeah, that was a, that's a Long Island thing. Okay, so g- explain the high ranch. because and a high ranch is basically, well, a ranch is one level. Right. So a high ranch had two levels and a third level, which was not the basement, but it was the lower level of the, of the ranch. So, and that was also common when you moved to Long Island that several generations would live in the same house and, and they called it a high ranch. I don't know where the name came from, but it's a big house. It was probably a three bedroom upstairs, another two bedroom downstairs. And some did have basements back then, but it was very common for the grandparents to live in the lower level because it was easy for them um, not to have to do the stairs up and down. If, if there was room when the children got married, then they might put a dormer on. That was another common thing over the garage to um, extend the house so they didn't have to leave. They would just they would just make more yeah. more room for them. It's very common. You just knock a hole in the in the roof and absolutely. <laughs> and there was actually a, a company on Long Island called Dormer King, and it's still in business today. And they were I the need king them. of the dormers. Yes. I want a dormer, so I want a couple. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it was a way to um, keep the family together, um, but each had their own living space, so to speak. I'm I'm still blown away because I, I live in a ranch. Uh, style house and it still yes. blows my mind that there's something called a high ranch picture your house with another house I just know. like yours right on top of it i want it and a garage yeah <laughs> I when want i go one. home i'll send you some pictures all right i'll i'll, I'll take some pictures I, for you if you do i'd love to po- post one on our instagram so. absolutely okay yes uh i had also asked you about uh the okay the name of the movie is goodfellas yeah and the other term i'm familiar with with is wise guys Growing up yeah. in the neighborhood, were there people that were everyone kind of knew were good fellas or wise yeah, guys? Yeah, and we never I never heard that term, and I never heard anybody use it. But um, a wise guy, definitely, that was a, that was a definite term. Well, my father used to say, "I know a guy." That was a, that was a big term, and that meant like I know a guy that could, you know, beat you up or <laughs> or. <laughs> Get your stolen goods, or um, we don't say stolen goods. What what do you? Yeah. Do, what would be the term for that? Because it seemed very commonplace, at least in the in the sixties and seventies, in the fifties. They were hot. That's what they would call it. Hot. Hot. Like you could get a hot mink coat, um, oh, or you could get hot cigs, or you could get a hot radiator for your car. And I know radiator sounds weird, but that's what we called it, not radiator. So <laughs> called it a radiator. Well, that makes sense. So car parts. Oh, absolutely. Little yep. luxury items that you could. Yes. Inspection sticker for your car was another big thing. And that wasn't so much a, but yeah, there were some um, garages, so to speak, that they were. Um, and they dealt in stolen car parts. And that's who you go to if you needed a sticker for your car and it wasn't going to pass inspection. Okay. So you would go and grease the guy's palm and you'd get your inspection sticker. And that's yeah. how that worked. And a lot of this stuff we see uh, – well, well, I'll talk about the breakdown of the film um, after I'm done gr- grilling you <laughs> on your background. <laughs> um, really, the, the only other things uh, that I was curious about were the acceptance culturally that, that this is how things were done. 
and and maybe what were the general attitudes towards law enforcement? I mean, positive, or, uh, unnecessary, um, unnecessary evil. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't try. I'm not trying to like paint like your your kind of nice Long Island neighborhood. Uh, yeah. As, as well, with criminality. Law enforcement on Long Island was definitely different than law enforcement in the city. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. Uh, law enforcement in the city. Uh, we grew up. I have mostly firemen in my um, family, um, but we basically lived in three apartment buildings side by side. So we were all neighbors, and we did some had um, some NYPD, but a lot of FDNY. And you know, factually, they don't get along. They don't like each other, which is really weird. See, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I, yeah. I, I mean, they kind of get along down here, I think. Uh, I think they, I there's a mutual respect down here. I That was lacking from what I, I remember. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know really remember why that was because it was so far before 9-11 um, or any of that. But the, the cops that I knew um, or that we had, you know, um, we would see in the city were all beat cops. So they they were your friends because they walked by your apartment with their, their nightstick. You know, they didn't drive in cars or some of them did, but we had beat cops. That's what we called them. And we knew them. They, it was like, you know, Officer Nick or, you know, Sergeant, whoever. And you really didn't have we didn't have too many dealings with them, but they were more respected from in my um, section of Manhattan um, just because we didn't have to deal with them on a, on a regular basis. Suffolk County cops, where I'm from on Long Island, that's a that's a whole different. First of all, Suffolk County cops are the highest paid cops in the nation. I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, Suff- um, Suffolk is where the Gilgo. The Gilgo that's Beach. correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at that whole, you know, there was a lot of, a lot, I don't want to go into that, but it's Suffolk County versus Nassau County, which is the next county over before Queens, if you're going towards the city. Nassau, Nassau has more money than Suffolk County, just historically, um, until you get out east to, you know, Montauk and the Hamptons. So we always found it weird that, you know, we, our cops get paid really almost twice what city cops were making back then. And we didn't have a lot of crime on Long Island back in the day. You yeah. know, we do now, but, but back then it was, I mean, it was, you know, the, the expression that, you know, that sitting in the car and with the donut, that's, that's what it was. That's what <laughs> Suffolk County, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not trying to disparage law enforcement. I come from a law enforcement family as well, but it was a cake job. And you only got on the force if you knew somebody or somebody passed away in your family. That's that was, a, yeah, that was how you got on. That still applies. Police fund. It still applies today, where NYPD is begging, <laughs> begging for bodies to come in, and Suffolk County is. It's the test is hard, and it's hard to get on the force. Wow. Yeah. You're in the burbs, essentially, when you're a kid growing up in Long Island. Yeah. Absolutely. But in the city, is it important to have? Well, I'm kind of curious both ways. Is it important to know people, have connections, know those guys? That know a guy is how important is that to know a guy? It's a very important. <laughs> it's very important. And my dad would never make it like, you know, he would just say, oh, I got a guy or I know a guy. And my, you know, my dad was an Irish guy. So it wasn't any, it wasn't uh, ethnic, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But they, they all looked out for each other. And that, I guess that was the, the, the era where I, you know, when I grow up there, if you needed something and you didn't have the money for something or everybody knew a guy. And if you didn't know a guy, your neighbor knew a guy. Grease's palm or um, or trade. I mean, there was a lot of that going on, too. You know, like, oh, uh, you know, I I, uh, I don't know. I need, uh, you know, a radiator for my car, but I don't have the bucks. But I'm a plumber. Oh, you are? Okay. Well, 
you come to my shop and I'll I'll give you some work and then I'll I'll give you the radiator which I didn't pay for anyway because it's stolen. But there was a lot of um, greasing palms. They they would call it greasing of the palm. So um, uh, in a way, it's it's almost a survival mechanism. Uh, to, yeah, absolutely. Uh, fiscally or uh, economically, trying to make, it, make ends yeah. meet. Yeah. Yep. That it's it's good yeah. to know a guy. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, okay. it's good today to know a guy. And, and we were talking about this too. That th- uh, there's a lot of focus in the film on theft. Uh, th- there yeah. is some focus on on uh, drug dealing, but the, there's yeah. a, primarily when the film starts out, it's a lot of focus on theft. And theft, I think, is looked at, or at least by these gentlemen, as a victimless crime. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And they always thought of it that way, like you know, oh, these these companies are making you know millions of dollars. You know, we're just we're the little guy. We're just we're not going to miss, you know, 10 cartons of Marlboro or whatever. Yeah, they constantly. I remember riding the Long Island Railroad. And this is probably back in maybe 1982. And a guy coming through with. He had to have four or five fur coats in, you know, the plastic thing that like you get from the dry cleaner. Yeah. And literally was peddling them on. And they were real. They weren't fake. <laughs> peddling them on the train. Like he and walking through like and, and he'd look at you and he wasn't screaming fur coats but he was like yeah you want you looking you know and we knew they were fell off a tr- they, that's the other term it was they fell off a truck you know down here in Florida when you see those guys selling lobster tails on the side of the road yes. I, I I seriously question where they came from and I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't purchase any but if I were up in Long Island and some guy opened his trunk and he says I you know I got lobster tails or whatever I would probably oh. spend the money. My husband used to buy them on the street corner, leaving Brooklyn, come from work. Literally, the guy would have a cooler on sitting on the side of the road. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't know how long he's been sitting out there. It's hot out. We don't know. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, they were on ice. You know, we don't know if he went to the Brooklyn, uh, the Fulton Street, uh, the Fulton uh, Fish Market was uh, in lower Manhattan. That's where all the fishermen went to get there. And the restaurants would go It's Fulton Street and it's the fish market, the biggest thing in, in Manhattan. And he probably went and stole them off the front of the guys. You know, he was no fisherman. You could tell by looking at him. But, but and, and with honestly, his, with his band lawn shirt and yeah. And the first time slacks. I ever saw them, I said to my husband, "I'm not eating that. They're brown." I had no idea they didn't turn red. And they oh God, that's water. funny. Yeah, but I thought, yeah, no, no. Nope. So, so did Greg cook them, and they were fine, right? He did, and they were. <laughs> he, he ate all the lobster tail himself. He did, and they were. They were great. Yeah. Oh God, that's funny. Yeah. But I know I've bought and stolen merchandise in my in my day. Some willingly and some not. I bought gold off the streets, and I didn't ask where it came from. I didn't. I didn't want to know. Um, you know. I, I can say there was a a Honda Accord in Donna's in my past when we needed a really good car, and we needed sort of a the family car. Right. Not not the SUV, but a nice you know four door sedan, and uh, we know a guy. <laughs> and and all of a sudden this this beautiful Honda Accord and it was like the deal was just too good to pass up but it worked out and in that, our favor that was and a I big term too too uh, too good to pass up yeah, yeah and I I didn't uh, I didn't question it it's like okay no now well, my my dad worked in the city um, sometimes he was in not so great parts of the city he was in Harlem a lot. Which back in the day Harlem wasn't wasn't great. It's it's better now. Yeah. But they would um, guys would come in, and this is guys that he worked with, and they'd want the car to disappear. And uh, I'm being dead honest with you. Now my father was never in on any of that, but he knew of it. 
So they would take the car, somebody would come and take the car and they'd park it like somewhere. Sometimes it end up in the East River. Sometimes it would end up like under, there was a place. I don't remember if it was in Battery Park or somewhere in lower Manhattan. It's in a lot of the movies where they'll go, like on King of Queens, when they went down with the, the little car that Arthur bought them for Christmas. There was a known place that you would go and you would leave your car there and then they'd strip it of all the good parts and then bam, the insurance would, would kick in. But yeah, that, that was a, that was a big thing, um, back in the day. Uh, I gotta get rid of this car. I gotta, the car has to take a walk. That was the, that was the term. The car has to take a walk. The car would literally be gone and then you'd wait a week or two, file a police report and then bingo. You get you get the down payment for another car or, or you know whatever. You yeah, or or it gets you through for a couple of months, or you get a you buy your monthly ticket for the Long Island Railroad for the year, depending on you know yeah, what where you're situ- living. Yeah, what yeah what your situation is. Uh, yeah. I I also asked you about um, growing up was JFK. Did you know JFK was Idlewild before it was JFK? Yeah, and I had never heard that. I and I I looked it up because I was born in '62, and I guess. Uh, President Kennedy was assassinated later that year, yeah. and um, so they had named it Kennedy uh, after that. But no, I had never heard that before. And I asked my family members, and they hadn't either, which was my dad would have because my dad was an old New Yorker. But I asked my sisters, and they were like, "No, we'd never heard of that." So I learned something new. Do you remember Air France, like your parents talking about it, or 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 Lufthansa, the heists? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, what, two of my neighbors worked at um, JFK. One worked for Air. Swiss Air and okay. the other work for Pan Am. Okay. Um, and it was all the talk of the whole. It, it, it ended. They they lived down the block from us, and it it would trickle down the info. So by like eight o'clock that night, our end of the block would get what the latest intel was, um, because it was all it was all the talk of of the street. I'm so, I'm trying to like imagine like did you have like little front yards and people are out there watering their their grass and and. Absolutely. Joe's Joe's going over to uh, Anthony and and saying, "Hey, what do you think about this this Air right. France heist?" And then right. chit chat there, and then he chats we'd with his wife. We stand at the edge of the driveway, and my dad <laughs> would talk to the neighbor who who heard from the other neighbor. Um, and then my dad worked late, so he got home late, so his intel was the the freshest because it was it was the latest. Because a lot of the guy, the one guy that worked at Pan Am, he worked the night shift, so we'd see him leaving it. You know, he'd leave at like four o'clock in the afternoon, and he'd come home. You know, we'd be in bed when he got home, but. 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. But, and my brother-in-law also worked for American at JFK. Okay. Um, and it was, yeah, the security was wild after that. I mean, think like before 9-11, like yeah. how, where you, you were just driving in. Nobody was checking anything. And then it got real <laughs> bad after that. Yeah. You had to have your badge out. You know, nobody ever bothered with any of that. But my brother-in-law said, yeah, they were real sticklers about you had to have your badge out, your ID. They were checking everybody coming in and out. They knew it was an inside job. You know, Henry's like, it was better than Citibank in the movie. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> it was. It was. Just like, it was so much of it that they couldn't spend it. That was, that was, the, that was the ironic part in the movie, that they, had, they was waiting. They wanted it so bad to spend it, and they – well, they, could, they weren't supposed to. They did anyway, but, you know, they thought they were covering their tracks. But I think that early on they knew who did that job, and I think it just took them a while to just – one was they just needed one to flip on the others, and eventually, and that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, eventually that was going to happen. When I ask you, is how accurate is this film, and, and I would think that you'd probably say it is very accurate at least. It's about. so accurate, yeah. 
I mean, they, they did a really good job on on that film because it was it was like you were looking back at that era, and that's what it reminded me of. You know what I mean? Like it kind of was. It was right down to, like I said, the the verbiage, the way they talked, the way they dressed, the way they ate, the way they, the cars they drove. Oh my God, all those cars! I knew every one of those cars because <laughs> I knew people that drove them. Um, is there is yeah. there a car that a wise guy drives? Uh, back in the day, it was the Monte Carlo. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, if they didn't have a if they didn't have a Cadillac, and a lot of them didn't, they weren't. That wasn't a big thing. For the the wise guys, if you mm. saw the other guy in the in the film got one, the mm. one that wasn't supposed to, I forget his name, the rug guy. Yeah. Um, but no, a Monte Carlo um, with the vinyl white top, that was it. If you had that, yeah. But nothing um, too nothing too conspicuous like a caddy. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Unless you, uh, on paper or publicly supposedly owned a business or something, maybe you'd have right. a Cadillac. Right. If you yeah. didn't have any reason, yeah. you're, as as Henry tells Karen when they first start going out, what do you do? I'm in construction. He wouldn't necessarily have reason to – or a union rep to be driving yeah. around in a Cadillac. In a Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. But everybody – you could afford a Monte Carlo if you had a decent job. Yeah. 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 So. With the full – you know, the two-door. The, the door was weighed so much and to slam it shut and then the seat would fold over and that's how you got in the back. Yeah, that was, that was a big – that was a big deal. It sounds awful, but I kind of miss big, heavy tank cars. Oh, my God. Me too. My mom Why? had a Buick Regal, and, and that was – yeah, they, they were tanks. But, God, if you got your finger caught anywhere near the, the door or any of that, but, yeah, they were. That that two-door anything was a heavy door. Last thing I was going to ask you, uh, you were talking about Staten Island. Staten Island, <laughs> yeah. And different sort of regions within within the five boroughs. and yeah. Is there this attitude, like, uh, is there this overarching sort of territoriality, like Brooklyn, we're Brooklyn, we're the Bronx, we're Long Island, we're Staten Island. Well, Long Island isn't a borough, but we're Staten Island, we're, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Is that, yeah. more, is that more important than, say, what your cultural and uh, racial identity is? Yeah, because nobody says they're from – like if you ask somebody that lives in one of the five boroughs where you're from, they never say the city. Yeah. They always say Brooklyn or whatever. You know, I'm from Queens. A, <laughs> right. And they'll say like – or they don't usually say Brooklyn. They'll say where they're from in Brooklyn, like Park Slope or Sheepshead Bay. Yeah. But Staten Island is its own <laughs> – it's like <laughs> its own country. <laughs> it's It's weird. I mean – it's predominantly from what I, my husband grew up in Staten Island, okay. but he moved out to the island before I did. Um, but if you remember that movie Working Girl, yes, that's the epitome of Staten Island. I mean, it, just the dress, the the way they talked, it, it it's yeah, it's crazy. And it, it's from what I, I to me, it was mostly Italian. And then if you watch those uh, episodes of Married to the Mob or Mob Wives, Mob, mob Wives. That the Gotti fam, they were all all the younger generations of all of those mob mobsters live in Staten Island. Sammy the Bull's daughter lives there. Uh, John Gotti's daughter lives there. Grandsons, granddaughters, and talk about the high ranch. They they have the not not called the high ranch. It's the ranch. Okay. And that's what all those houses are. They're like it's like a half ranch taken and you cut it in half. But they all. <laughs> It's – I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, also, because I had family in Bensonhurst, I forgot to tell you that. Um, now, Bensonhurst will, is – That's Brooklyn. Okay. 
Yeah, I forgot Brooklyn. I apologize, I did. Brooklyn. That's okay. Um, but Staten Island was, when you walked in, it was down. You could go down or you could go up. And they loved the mirrors on the wall when you walk in. The big chandelier with the gaudy, clear, fake crystals coming down. <laughs> um, and they all had the glass dining room table with the silk, huge silk flower arrangements. I'm just, I'm picturing in my mind walking in. Oh, my in. God. And then the kitchen was just a disaster of, they didn't have granite back then, so they still had laminate, but you would get the, the laminate that looked like it was granite, whatever that was. Okay. And um, the black, do you remember the black laminate furniture? Like, um, yes. Karen, not Karen, um, his girlfriend. That, uh, that black lacquer apartment. furniture. That's yes. the, That's an early or mid-80s look, the black yes. lacquer furniture. Yeah. And that was that was huge. And, and leather. And leather okay. sofas. Yeah, that's Staten Island in, in a nutshell. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> yes, and a lot of delis and bakeries and uh, pork stores. Lots of pork. Pork stores, yeah. Like lots, lots of body, on, lo, lo, lots of body processing out there. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, it's surrounded by water, so I mean, it's oh the, my the God. perfect. Oh I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. You're making yeah. me a little uneasy about going to going out to Staten Island. Staten Island. <laughs> well, I just never understood all these years. Like, why do they rag on Staten Island? And I have been to Staten Island. Now, there's a there's a bridge over there. You can yes. get. See, when I went over, it was by ferry. Yes. And working girl, they're the, coming over by ferry. Right. The bridge wasn't built then because Greg was my husband will tell me stories about that. That when they were younger, back like in the I don't know who 58, so early 60s, they would all pile in the car. And every weekend, and that's another thing, I, I don't think I touched on that, but when you're from the city and you move to Long Island or Westchester or Connecticut, wherever you move to, your family is still in the city. Every weekend, you're expected to get back there. Okay. And I'm not kidding. Regardless of what you, whether you're Italian or Jewish no, or nope, Dominican. Nope, 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 because now my husband's family, they're that's German. Funny. But every weekend, they would pile in the car. And they would drive to the ferry and drive the car on the ferry and get to Staten Island. And they, she, he said they'd be there. They knew when they were leaving. It's so funny because we'd go to Manhattan every Sunday to my grandparents. And I remember, remember the wonderful world of Walt Disney? Yes. I knew when that song came on, it was time for us to leave. Oh, wow. Because we would leave the same time every, but we were expected every weekend. That's what we would do. Um, and we did it on Sunday. Greg said they did it on Saturday. And his father would stop at the bakery and get Kaiser rolls to bring. But yeah, even if you moved away, you would expect it back because they weren't leaving. The grandparents, they weren't leaving the city ever. You know, I, I can count the number of, on one hand, the times my grandparents actually came out to Long Island. Those are they deep didn't. core memories, Jean. Those are Absolutely. deep ass memories. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, sights, smells, and sounds, I still can remember them. Like, yeah. And it wasn't a bad thing. But when we got older, that's when it stopped because my mother was like, listen, they're teenagers, John. They don't want to get in the car every weekend and go to Manhattan. You know? <laughs> it's not happening. So it, ain't it happening. stopped. Well, yeah, it ain't happening. So it stopped then. But, um, yeah. Moving on to our favorite topic, which is the food. Yeah, all the food. <laughs> the food. The food in this film. Why, why do you think food is so important in this film? Because food is who – it's their identity, actually. Uh, that's how I feel it. Yeah. Like every holiday that I remember now, my, my godmother was Sicilian. Every holiday that I, re I don't even really remember the holiday. We just remember the food because it was so prominent in, in everything. 
and we knew ahead of time what we were having. That's the weird thing. It's not like today where you're like, oh, what are they? What are we serving? What are they having? We always knew what we were having. <laughs> it was yeah. always the same yeah. thing. You know, they just changed the meat for every holiday, but the rest of it was basically the same. I'm curious. Um, so, what meats for what holiday? <laughs> okay, so um, Christmas was always um, either beef tenderloin or prime rib. And that was the main, you know, that was be, that was the middle, and then the before would be the the antipas and the um, either stuffed shells or manigot or whatever the the precursor was to that. And then Easter, my my mom did Easter, so that was always ham and turkey on Easter. And my mom always did um, stuffed shells or lasagna. She did a good lasagna before that. And then Thanksgiving was um, always turkey and a soup and a a meat. Of, 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 um, like a stuffed shell, manigot, wedding soup, pasta bazool, anything like that before, because it was cold. Okay. Um, that makes but, sense. Yeah. Yeah. There was always meat and there was always never really cold cuts. My family didn't do cold cuts on big holidays. They right. were, they were for other, like, like communions and christenings and things we, like we that. We need to, we need to save the cold cut discussion for the very yeah. end. Because <laughs> we really got into it before. Um, yeah. Do you think it represents anything though in the film? Because I, I think I read somewhere where there's an article or there's some co- sort of comparison. I forget what they were saying food represents in The Godfather, but in, in Goodfellas, it sort of is supposed to represent either the ex, I guess the excess, excesses of yes. Uh, the criminal under like it's getting to a point where people are starting to you know things that would never happen before right they'd rather die than turn on their friends right absolutely that that's a but i i'm not sure i I buy that because of that last scene between polly and henry because i don't think it's about the i don't think those sausages are representative of right because i think in the end even those good fellas as as much as they made it like about a brotherhood and to belong to something. I think especially for maybe not so much Paulie, but I think they turn on their own mother if, if it served them. You know what I mean? I mean, they talk a lot about, you know, oh, my family is everything, but that's not true because I, really? I feel like, no, yeah, is... I feel like balls to, against the wall, they, they turn on their own mother if, if it served them correctly. Yeah, and that's yeah. a character thing because that's what the, what they've allowed themselves to be drawn into, or right. get, yeah, yeah. It is it? I mean, we can talk about that toward the end. Like it is kind of making a deal with the devil. It's not right gonna because work out they right. were more like you said. They were wise guys. To me, like there was a a fine line in that movie compared to The Godfather because they were never going to be a Don Corleone. It was just Don Corleone was not a wise guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> he wasn't. no, he was a. He wasn't even a gangster. He was a mobster. And I there's a difference there. Oh, he was the Don. Me. He was exactly the he was he was the head he of was the, the family. Man. Yeah. Yep. So and I think in that in that family, yeah, they had lines they wouldn't cross with family. But I think those in the wise guys move and in Goodfellas, I think I think there was shady there. I think that they would have turned on their their own family members if it would have served them. Now, do we know? Well, I'm wondering because the only thing I can think of in my recent memory as an adult is Gotti and the Gotti trials and all the mistrials. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Was Sammy the, I, I'm curious, like, if was Sammy the Bull ever a made man? So, was he ever? I don't made? think he was. I don't think he was. So maybe that uh, if you're not, if you don't have that stamp, you don't feel like yeah. you're in all the way. It's just uh, speculation on my yeah i think he i don't know he he bugged me a lot i don't know i just <laughs> I the like him. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't. And then not that he could because he was a rat, because he, even when he was a rat and he went into witness protection, he couldn't keep his trap shut. He always was a, he was always grandiose. That's another term that they, they like to throw around. But he always thought he was bigger than he was and more important than he was. You know what I mean? And his, he, he, his claim to fame was that he took down the Gaudis, you know? I mean, and, and still couldn't keep his, his trap shut about that either. So he had to brag about it. I just looked it up. Gravano was made. It says here in 1976, Gravano was formally initiated into the Gambino oh, well, family. There you go. He had a robbery spree that impressed Arello. Joe, I think it's Joe Arello. Who propo- he proposed him for membership. They weren't really looking at him, but I guess somebody tapped him as, oh, he's a good earner. So. And that was really important, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Earning is important. Bringing in money to the family is important. Yeah. Historically, in. in, in from what you remember, in terms of food preparation, it's always the women, or at least that, that was your experience. Yeah, I, I I can remember like maybe three times I actually saw a man, my uncle, a, a relative in the kitchen, and cer- cooking anything, and certainly not cleaning up. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. Okay, that was just a re- you didn't even ask. I mean, that was yeah. Thanksgiving's yeah. around the corner. Just uh, just throwing that out there, though. If if we took tur- turkey fryers back to 1976 <laughs> when you were a kid, uh, would your dad have wanted to fry the turkey, <laughs> or is, is that just um, strictly off the table? Yeah, no, that wouldn't have happened. Really? No. Oh my god. No. Men are so into that because I I associate associate something like that with like grilling. Now your father yeah. probably bar- grilled, didn't he? Did he? He did. He burned a lot. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he wasn't good at it. And don't forget, we didn't have gas back then, so it was okay. charcoal. Okay. So he put the charcoal, he put the hamburgers on and put the, the cover on it, and my neighbor would have to come over and knock on the door and say, your grill is on fire in oh <laughs> the backyard. God. Yeah, because he would forget that. that and then I, I, a couple of times that happened, my mom was like, yeah, you're not you're not going to grill anymore. We're, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not so, um, yeah, but a turkey, that would have been like non-traditional, and that would not have flown in my house. No. 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 Really? Yeah. Has Greg ever uh, fried a turkey? No, never. I don't think he's ever touched a turkey. I'm being straight. (laughs) (laughs) Being straight with you. Do you guys have turkey on Thanksgiving? We do. And I sent him a couple years back to get a turkey, and I waited too long. And it was my probably my first Thanksgiving without my mom. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing because I usually cook like a little turkey breast. So I said, we need a turkey so I sent him to Publix and he came home with this frozen turkey and it had to be 22 pounds and I knew I don't know a lot but I knew that thing wasn't going to be ready by Thursday so he said he said well they told me to put it in a cooler with ice and water and then like every day you have to change the ice and the water and I said you get in the car and you take that right back (laughs) we're not doing that no we're not doing that and I think that was the year I Called Publix the next day and got one of those ready-made turkey dinners that you just had to go pick up, um, and you know it was all cooked. You just had to heat it up. But I learned my lesson after that. I was in charge of getting the turkey. Um, yeah, <laughs> it just didn't sound right. That the whole thing uh, well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, um, and to any of our our friends out there listening, uh, when you're in a pinch and you don't know what to do about your turkey, all kinds of turkey problems, you can call one eight hundred Butterball. And they have a turkey hotline. I wish I would have known that. that would have <laughs> and you can me. you can cook a, a turkey when it's frozen. 
<laughs> oh, really? Okay, yes. I didn't know that either. It's going to take probably eight hours take, to cook it. Yeah. A <laughs> 22 okay. pound. Yeah, it's going to take it. But they, you can actually go on their website too. You can go on Butterball's website. Okay. They, you know, you, you got to hand it to the people at Butterball, 1-800-Butterball. Oh, absolutely. Because they don't, yeah, yeah everybody's buying Butterballs, but, you know, they might be buying another turkey. Right. But they They're have help the, you out anyway. <laughs> they'll help you out anyway. They yeah, just don't want you to get anyway. sick. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, folks, if you have any questions or uh, crisis regarding your turkey, 1-800-Butterball. 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 You can go probably to Butterball. Let me look. They have a Genius. website. Butterball.com or something. Okay. They pro yes. It's www.butterball.com. Okay. <laughs> if you have a turkey emergency. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> well, I just figured I'd let you know that. Yes. It's great. I I know in my house, it's funny. They, so they wouldn't cook anything because in my, my grandfather was from – Abruzzo, Italy. Okay. They, they said Pacentro. I do know that he did the sauce every every weekend. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, he did. Wow. Make the, he did make the sauce, but that's okay. only because his wife was Irish and didn't really do anything. Well, there you go. She I think it's necessity. <laughs> she didn't cook. She didn't do the laundry. Yeah. She didn't do any of that. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. She was okay. treated like a princess. Clearly, she was Irish. <laughs> well, no, I mean, now her mother. That's seven brothers and sisters. Okay, so her mother busted her butt <laughs> raising that right. many kids. Yeah. But uh, you know, she she made out okay marrying my grandfather. Yeah. On the rare occasion, I remember my dad would like make breakfast on a Sunday morning, and that was probably maybe twice a year, and that was that was it. And when he came home from work, and I remember this like it was yesterday, he'd come home. He never worked till five o'clock. He always took the late train. And he'd be home by 8.30 during the week. So he'd leave in the, in the dark at 5.30 in the morning and come home at 8.30 at night. And he would sit in his recliner and my mom would reheat his dinner and bring it to him. So he never really went into the kitchen. There was no need <laughs> to do that. How long was um, his commute, like riding the train? Um, well, he took the train from Long Island. So that was a, about a 50-minute train ride, depending if he was going into um, – well, he always went into Penn back then. So he, and then he'd take a subway from Manhattan, from Penn Station to wherever he was going for the day. So say he was going up to Harlem. So that's a subway ride. So depending on how many stops there were, that could be another 45 minutes. And sometimes he'd have to take a bus after that because it was just easier to get around on a bus than to go back down into the subway. So he probably traveled two hours going and two hours coming home. God, and he did that for 31 years. That's crazy. Yeah. I have I, I gave up. I have mad respect you... for my dad back then because that, yeah. you know, as a whole. And that is that a whole. Winter, spring, summer, you know, it didn't matter. Uh, he just did it. Well, he took care of your family. He, he did. Took care of your kids yep. and your mom. Yep. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's a lot. And when he retired, his first. I want to say 11 months of retirement and he retired early, he retired at 51, the city brought out his contract and he, for the first nine months of his retirement, he had, it was all vacation and sick time that he had never used. And because it was, a, he had a union job, it always rolled over, they never took it away. So he had years and years and years of work that he, he just wouldn't take a vacation and never was sick, ever. I, I, I'll never remember my dad calling and sick. And they they were working class people, my mom and dad. But every year 
we went on a vacation in the summer and made sure every year we went somewhere. That's that was nice. the one week he would take off. He was 51 and then he, he came here and the first six months are glorious because, oh, you don't have to get up in the morning. They had a brand new house to, you know, take care of. And then he was bored to tears. So he went and got himself a part-time job. Mm. But yeah, he, he, yeah, he's 51 years old. I can't even imagine. I, I can't fathom being right? able to retire at 50, you know, I just, I just can't. I still think that's funny that, uh, no men would have been caught dead in the kitchen because my grandfather no. was, was the cook. And he did t treat yeah. my grandmother like a princess, sort of. The Irish-American nice. princess. And he's yeah, Italian. Yeah, very nice. Maybe one on one occasion I can remember um, on Christmas Eve during, like, the Feast of Seven Fishes because it was so much work. Yeah. You would see some of the men in the kitchen, and that was either, you know, shucking oysters or you know, devaining shrimp or doing what, doing some things like that. But that was the only, that was the only time. Well, shucking oysters is a pretty manly task. I can see that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I found it funny with this discussion about men won't cook that Polly's always cooking, at least. Uh, he, well, he's cooking the sausage, but he's just around food all the time. He really was a foodie, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he, he's – and even in – no, he is preparing. So he's cooking sausage in that last scene with Henry, and then he, in, in prison he's he was the, he's he was organizing the, the whole cuisine. He was. Slicing the, the garlic with the, the razor and yeah, yeah. I, I I never yeah I didn't get that that nobody ever cooked for him and he didn't it didn't show him with a spouse in the movie as, as far as I can remember. No, didn't have no. I think they mentioned his wife, right, but they, we never, never see never her. Saw her, so I didn't know if it was something where the wife couldn't cook. Maybe she was ill. I don't know, but he and I think it was a. A control thing for him, you know. He he was so used to being in charge. He just, you know, I mean, he figured, well, I'll just be in charge of my own food as well. I know that it was that he didn't trust people. I don't think it was that, but no, I don't he think he thought either. he nobody cooked as good as me. I'll I'll just I'll make my own, you know. Although it is pretty, I mean, he's very very cautious. We see that at the very exactly. beginning, and Henry Remember mentions that? how yeah. careful he is. Yep, don't use the phone. Never use the house phone. Um, but I don't think he was yeah, paranoid. Paranoid that right. anybody would poison him or anything like that. Right, especially in his own inner circle. Yeah, it might have just been like nobody's going to cook my sausage exactly. Although there's some scenes. There's just some scenes in this film that, we, I mean, we can talk about here in a little bit. What is with the pronunciation of your words? Yeah. Why is it? What do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Why? I, 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 why, I, I, you know, I grow up thinking manicotti. It looks like manicotti, but... I think it's more of a, a regional thing to me than it is a cultural thing. Okay. Because I think that um, if you, you know, if you're an Italian and you grow up in Florida and you're born here, I think you don't hear other people saying uh, mozzarella or gabagool or regret. They, I don't think they hear it. Up there, I think it's a, I want to say it's not even a tri-state area because that would include Pennsylvania, which it's not. I think it's a New York, New Jersey, five borough kind of thing. Manicot. Manicot. It doesn't um, look like manicotti. The word manicotti does not look like manicot. So it's a dialect it thing. And when you hear people, I would never like in a restaurant, I would cringe. Like if my so, husband would order <laughs> manicotti, I, I just like, just, I remember the first time I went out with somebody and they ordered galamat and I thought, oh my God. You you say it the right way. Galamat. I, I, 
you can't say, I can't even say calamari, calamari. I don't know. It just, it's weird. But a lot of times the waitress looks at you like, what? What are you talking about? And then I just point like, oh, we'll have, we'll have this, the calamari, manicot. Yeah. And I, there was a couple of key, um, like I told you, mapine is a dish rag. Um, and you're saying Rachel Ray. Uh, Rachel Ray calls it a mapine. Mapine. Yeah. A mapine or mapina. And uh, I remember Javella water is bleach. Javella water. Javella water. And you have to say water with it and water. not water. 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 Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I actually think it's an area thing. I think it's, it's more about where you're from than, than who you are. If that okay. makes sense. Okay. So just the people, regardless of whether they were telling or not, they're, they're going to say mozzarella. Like, and my husband's German and he says well, it stupid ways. Provel, okay, you know, here, here's a problem. Provel cheese is, is a thing, and it was created in the Midwest. It's a blend of cheese, like provolone, and I forget what other cheese. But pro, do you say provolone? Or pro, I do. Provolone. Okay. Yeah, we say provolone. Yeah. Okay. Provolone. Provolone and Genoa is salami. Nobody you don't say, say salami. salami. Say, yeah. Say no, Genoa. I say Genoa. But, and, and actually, Genoa is a, a brand because it's a region that it comes from, but um, – I know there are other brands of, of <laughs> types of salami, but, you know, uh, we just automatically will say Genoa and thinking that they know what you're talking about, you know, just like prosciutto and, you know, prosciutto Parma is just a different um, area in Italy that their prosciutto comes from. But um, that and the, I can't get over the Irish people's cheese because my husband still buys it today. And okay. Green cannon. For for our friends listening, explain what Irish people's cheese is. It's the craft green plastic cheese that you get and you keep it in the refrigerator. And it's powder. Some some it's, people like the Irish cheese, Gene. I listen <laughs> I'm sure it's I'm sure it serves you know what's good about it, Beth? It never goes bad. It, it, you can keep it in there for three years and it, and it's it'll still be decent. It'll survive it'll nuclear, nuclear fallout. Decent, but, Exactly. Yeah. But um, I just, yeah, that, that would have never flown in my, in my house. No. And probably not in your house either. Uh, no. Well, I grew up with the Italian side was, was sort of removed, but so the Irish American was sort of dominating. Yeah. We had plenty of Irish cheese in my household. Okay. And I'm not going to lie. We probably had it in my house too. You know, back then, I mean, I'm talking back in the seventies, they didn't have what they have now. You know, they didn't have Romano, Locatelli. You couldn't get all of that stuff freshly, you know, you just, you weren't getting that. I remember the, the I forget the brand. It was a skinny green sort of Irish people cheese that they used to sell. And you used to get it right next to where the, sp the dry spaghetti is. So oh, you know God. it's bad because it's cheese. It doesn't belong in, the, in that aisle. It belongs over in the refrigerator section. In the ref refrigerated section. Well, I mean, all some the other cheeses cheese. are... Well, yeah, I mean the dry cheese. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Right, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Once, <laughs> um, yeah, but the things have come a long way since, since then. And, and we both figured out that gabagool is is just a, like a play on a, a word. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody really yeah. says – growing up, you said you never heard anybody say gabagool. I've never heard anybody say it. No. No, I've never heard anybody order a capicole, uh, a gabagool sandwich. Because if you look at the way phonetically, you could probably figure out that capicole is capicole. I mean, it's not that far off, other than maybe a little a, uh, an I in there that doesn't belong. But um, I never heard anybody. Um, that's a Jersey thing. I, I'm going to probably get into trouble for that. But it is. It's like a Jersey and even a Queens thing. 
that Gabagool. Um, really? Tony Soprano kind of put that on the market. Yeah, yeah. I want to say. Let me see. Um, the hell is Gabagool? It might have been an Esquire. It says, uh, as I suspected, Gabagool is just another way of saying Capicola. The top definition on Urban Dictionary uh, also supplies a couple useful analogs in the Napolitan dialect. Napolitan. They're calling it the Napolitan dialect. Okay. Well, it sounds better than and Regat. and Regat. But they're calling it a Napolitan. So Na- Naples? Nepalese? But yeah. I think you're right. I think it's it, it's permeated so much in the culture up there, it's probably more yeah. regional now, the dialect. Than... Yeah, yeah. And I think anybody that didn't know what it was and then would watch The Sopranos, that's how they, they figured it out. Oh, that, that's what that is. But that makes no sense to me. Well, Naples is not Sicily. Do you know what I'm saying? No, it's not. No, it's not at all. So how is Tony the, – the whole premise then is wrong. Based on what we know, you're supposed to be 100% Sicilian on both sides. You're supposed to be able to – Trace your family back. So how is – are we supposed to think that the Naples dialect is what dominated – I just – I don't – you know what I don't buy in in terms of the whole – it has to be 100% Sicilian? My, my, my 23andMe tells me that that's a lie. Exactly. <laughs> Italian, nobody yes. Is. Italian, yeah. yes. Right. But the trace your mother back and you got to be 100% yeah. Sicilian. That's, and nobody's that's 100% B, anything. That's BS. That's BS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and I think that the, in The Sopranos, I think they took a lot of liberties in the writing of that show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, it, it didn't it didn't jive with a lot of, like you said, Tony, Tony Soprano, what, what was he? Was he Sicilian? Was he Napolitan? What, what? Say Na- Napolitan. I struggle trying to pronounce <laughs> Napolitan. 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 Yeah. It, it just trips it off you. It just rolls off of your mouth. You know. Yeah. No. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> the Neapolitan ice cream one makes you want because you, it sounds stupid if you say Napolitan ice cream. No, no, you're not saying that. I we just say rainbow ice cream. That's what we call it because it sounds ridiculous to say it any other way. But um, <laughs> Napolitan. Yeah. Napolitan. Uh, I have broken down this film for us to kind of go over in in chunks. So young Henry versus um, really when he meets Karen and then when he gets pinned up to the point where he gets pinched. Right. Okay. And, and then really what happens when he gets out? Because that's, that's essentially the whole film. Like how does he, how does he, uh, what does he get into after, well, what is he? He becomes a better criminal, I guess, when he's in prison. Absolutely. So. <laughs> yep. Oh, imagine that. Yep. Um, do, do, I was just curious. Did uh, did your father ever share or your mother ever share any memories like from their childhood growing up that might, um, that kind of seem familiar when you're when you're looking at young Henry? Well, my dad. So, okay, my dad was Irish. You right. know that, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and he went to um, all-boys Catholic school. And he was the youngest. Um, he had two older sisters. So by the time he came along, they were pretty tired, my grandparents. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So, so um, and my dad always got into trouble. He always ran w- with the, the worst of the crowd. So I remember one time my grandfather um, – he was hanging around with this group. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of group they were, but 
he was supposed to be in church and he was in a pool hall <laughs> and he was so stupid that he took his pool cue with him. Like, you know, they had it in the box, like with the handle. <laughs> and I guess he didn't think that they saw him. So he pretends he's going to church and he goes to his pool hall. My grandfather follows him down there. And my grandfather's a very, just a calm, just a real gentleman. And he went in and he said, now, what are you doing, John? And he said, and he was a hustler, my dad. He was hustling to make money playing pool because it yeah. was good, but he would hustle idiots that didn't know any better and he was making money and it was a Sunday so it was sacrilege that's like not happening oh so okay. yeah yeah you never you didn't do anything on Sunday but go to church and go home and eat and uh <laughs> so my dad my grandfather tried you know telling him and he he just was not listening so they he said he didn't want to go to school anymore because of the I guess the crowd he was running with and some of them were not not the greatest um you know just not not great guys they were all getting into trouble and my grandfather said, well, he said he wanted to go to public school. And my grandmother was like, well, that's not happening. My grandfather said, listen, let him go to public school. So they enrolled him in public school and he got in, got more trouble. Oh, God. Because he was, he was, so he came home one day and he got, he got in trouble for something. Um, and he was hanging around with some questionable um, wise guys. And my grand, he came home and he had this form to join the army and he was, he was 17. He wasn't even 18. Oh, wow. And my grandmother said, um, my grandfather said, well, you're not going anywhere. You're, you know, you're 17. You can't. And my grandmother ripped the thing out of his hand and said, now, listen, Tom, if we don't let him go, he'll be running the streets. And that was like a big term back then, <laughs> running the streets and, and God knows getting into what. So and I'll end up in jail. So let him go. So they did. They, they forged the, the paperwork so he could join the army. And I think that for my dad, it, it kind of saved them, honestly. Yeah. Because I think a lot of, and this I hear this from a lot of my friends that have dads the same age as, as my dad was, that it was very common back then. They either went one way or the other, sideways, or, or they weren't going to college. We, we already figured that out. Wow. There was two ways they could go, and it was a, not a good way because um, there was always a way to make fast money. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and it wasn't it wasn't legal, and my grand, my grandparents, his parents were immigrants from Ireland. They were first generation um, Irish American, and that would have just been like they would have not recovered from that had he gotten into any kind of trouble. So, um, but I, I absolutely, uh, my dad, he wasn't a wise guy, but he was street smart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that yeah, yeah, that saved you a lot. He probably he probably picked up a lot when he, you know in a, in in a way sounds a lot like like Henry Hill. Um, Absolutely. The the very beginning and, of the film, it's right. the them in the car, and then we hear the thunk 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 thunk, and they pull pull over and. Absolutely. Very. And, you don't see what they're doing, but you right. know what's. But you can surmise what it is, right? And, and, and that and, famous and line. Any, right. Exactly. And to any kid growing up at, in that era, just the attraction alone of. You know, like my my dad didn't have any brothers, so having you know so-called brothers making quick money on the side, it was very attractive to a lot of of young guys. And you can so. see how you know when you when you put it like you guys weren't uh, impoverished by any means, but you're you're stuck in a in a situation, a socioeconomic exactly. situation where. Exactly. One, you're one. You're not going to college, so right. find a trade, 
get a job, do do something, right. or you you're gonna wind up, or you're gonna exactly. get, getting in trouble. Th- yep. Those are your and two he had choices. Some, some friends, and and then they lived on their block, and that's a, that block is a big thing. We don't say streets, we say blocks that that lived on his block that that did bad things, and you know weren't around very long either. And you you, you can understand the allure then. Absolutely. And it's sort of you brought up uh, the the film Saturday Night Fever, which is a film that you love. I do. Because we were talking about how when it came out, it kind of got there were some critics that really panned it. It it was an incredibly successful film, you know, at the box office. Yeah. And it launched John Travolta's career. Right. And it's 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 sort of a cultural moment too. that film. You're right. It really like, didn't have anything to do with dancing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it there didn't. was so much in that it film. Was, there was so many dynamics in that movie that just, it just, it spoke to you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it was depressing and it was heartwarming at the same time, if you can imagine that. But just knowing that what you grew up in is what you're going to become, because that's all there was for them. There was no out. There was no college. There was... You know, and it wasn't even, they were just expected to do that. Find, like you said, find a trade, find something to do, be as miserable as your father is in 10 years and have a couple of kids and, you know. And and we're not even talking about people that are growing up in poverty. There's always they're, food on their table. Yeah, there's food and a, a roof over their head and, and they are exactly. getting some semblance of, a, of an education. But right. that even that, uh, to be boxed in like that is. Exactly. Is, and he was, you and have his no friends, dreams. <laughs> and, right. And all of his friends, Paulie D and Double J, they all seemed okay with it. You could tell that um, Tony Monero, uh, John DeVolve's character, wasn't. And he wanted something better for himself. Yeah. And, you know. Anything yeah, and I think good. that was Henry Hill was the same thing. Same, same thing. Like, all yeah. my life, I just wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> a gangster, <laughs> right. I mean, his father was mad. He was angry. He was angry, you know, at his circumstances. He was angry that his son was in a wheelchair. But yeah, but you're you're right that the allure for him started real early for yeah. uh, for young Henry. So Henry starts hanging around. He, he's looking across the street at the cab stand that's opened up, and he's like, "I I want some of that. Whatever they're right. doing with their wings <laughs> and their fancy cars, and right, and the, the smell of sausages probably." <laughs> Right, permeating. Great, right. great food being cooked. Uh, I um, love that sh- when he comes out and he's got the three-piece suit on with the shoes, and his mother looks at him and she's like, "Oh my God, you look like a gangster!" And it's like, "Bingo, yes, that's exactly what I wanted yeah, to look like." Is, is yeah. cool. Hey, ma. Exactly. He's and, so um, proud of it. And the fact that he's making more money at like 14 yes. years of age yes. than most of the adults on the block. Exactly, including his own father. Yeah. Yeah. And and that yeah. that that infuriated his father even more. Yep. Then we see those great scenes, the Poly Social Club, right? So it's the cab stand, but there's they're grilling more sausages, sausages, and and when he introduces the character of Polly, he's being served food. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Polly didn't move. Yep. Polly didn't move very fast, but Polly didn't move. For, had didn't have to move for anybody. Just kind anybody. of anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Stressing the importance of yeah. of his that yeah. figure in in the community. But you tell he took a real liking to him early on. The the guys across the street at the cab stand apparently liked like Henry, and it, it starts out he's just running errands, right, taking messages back and forth, doing little right. things, and it just right. escalates. They give him a little bit more to do, a little bit more to do, a little bit more to do. Um, I love that line. He's like, one day, one day, the kids in the neighborhood 
help my mother carry her groceries all the way home. Yes. It's about wanting yeah. a little something more and the allure of that. Like you said, there's a there's a lot of easy ways to make fast money. So how could you resist? Right. right. That famous shot because that transition is is uh, he lights the what is it? He lights the cars on fire or something. Yes. Yeah, and and you and know, then runs away. And even Scorsese says that that's symbolic, like this the, the path to, the path to hell, or the hell he's about to to right. to get into. He gets his quote unquote, as Polly says, oh, you broke your cherry. So he gets right. arrested for Tommy, played by Joe Pesci. So they've known each other since childhood, or at least that's that's what the film implies. I think they were actually a little older in real life. They're 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 dealing, you know, hot hot cigarettes out of the trunk of a car, and here right. Henry gets pinched, gets arrested. Right. Turns out it's the best thing that ever happened to him. It was. It kind of like right? it's a stamp of manhood. Yeah. Like you did yep. you didn't rat on your the two things, right? You didn't rat on your friends, and you didn't open your mouth. Right. Yeah. Just remember that. Congratulating him and slapping him on the back and stuffing oh you know, God, probably hundreds in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's laughing and smiling, and that was it for him. That was his, like his catapult yeah. into uh, stardom. And then they that, that sort of closes out the first phase of the film, and then we transition into young, sexy Ray Leon <laughs> in front oh of God. the – I mean, he looks – he looks good. Yeah. <laughs> he does look good. He does. And and Joe Pesci's just kind of standing there. Uh, Joe Pesci won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, did he? Didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yep. It was nominated yep. for a few Oscars, but I think Pesci yeah. was the only one that won. Was the only yep. win. And you can see why. He's fantastic. And you know, he was. Did you read that? That he was. I read this an article on him a while ago that he was almost passed over for that role. Real? No, I um, did not see that. Yeah. Apparently, um, Martin Scorsese wanted um, because they had to reflect when they were younger, like when Henry was growing up, and then transition into the the, the modern day, the older versions. And he didn't think that Joe Pesci could carry off the younger version of himself, so um, he was going to pass on him because he said, "Well, I, I can't make myself look younger." And so I think he had a conversation with Scorsese on the phone, and he basically cursed him out and Martin cursed him back and he hung up and then he said he thought about it for a while and he thought well I made a mistake there so he called him back and he said listen Marty you know I, I can't we work this out you know what do you what do you think and I believe he got the makeup artist from I think it was Star Trek um to make him um they used um those lifts that they use they put those tape behind the the, the temple and it pulls your, your skin back Oh wow! They used a lot of that. They used um, a lot of toupees and different kinds of makeup to make him look like the younger version of of Tommy, and then transition into the the older version of him. But he did. He almost lost that role because he couldn't con you know uh, conform himself into a younger version of himself. Um, oh. And I guess I guess they didn't want like how Henry Hill they had a different character play younger. But for the rest of them, they didn't, if you notice that. I didn't notice it until I, I looked at the film again, that they all played their own version of themselves, except for Henry. Yeah, I guess he, they, he, that he, would have been a stretch for him because he was, what, 11 or 12 or 13 when they right. they introduced him. But yeah. I think Joe Pesci would have been in his maybe late 20s at that point, 30, early 30s. 
But yeah, and Martin Scorsese was none too happy with him when he cursed him out on the phone. So then he had to kind of grovel back. I just thought that was an interesting fact. I, I can't I, – I don't know what this film would be without Joe Pesci or De Niro, actually. Exactly, exactly. Any of them, you know, yeah. maybe with the exception of, you know, um, a, a couple of them, but not the main characters, absolutely not. Joe Pesci was – when you think of Goodfellas, that's the face I see. Not even a Henry Hill. I, I, I see Joe Pesci. Yeah, I yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Ray Liotta was Ray Liotta in the movie, but, you know, like you said, it, it would have been nothing without Joe Pesci. Fantastic actor. A, a, he, just he a is. treasure. He really and, is. And broad, you know what I mean? Like, he's a gangster, huh. but he played so many – he's just a – yeah, he is. He's a, he's phenomenal. He really is. Have you seen The Irishman yet? No, and you uh, – that's on my list because you told me about that the other day. So I'm going to – I plan on downloading that and watching it on the – Plane on Monday. If you want to know what a great actor Pesci is, he plays a completely different personality in okay in The Irishman. He's so okay, such a controlled, very subtle job of okay. acting, and he's he's just great in it. But he and De Niro are just fantastic together. Okay, I'm it, excited to watch that. Yeah, yeah, I think you and Greg would really really like that. Okay, I loved it. So we have young Henry. The first thing that Henry's able to do, the first big uh, heist is Air France. Yeah, not something. He, and what what was it? Something like four hundred k, four hundred thousand dollars. I do love that part of the film where he's showing how you know it it made him it ma it made the you know made Polly it made Polly's family or whatever kind of like okay. He can't be right. made. We find that out later, much a little right. later, how how that works. But he's a good earner, solid right. earner, and he's he's now he's been around. He's grown up with these guys, right? So and he does the right thing, which is I made this massive ripoff. I give you tribute first, Polly, right? And yeah. you, you see that congratulations, like this is a lot of money for a kid like you, and he is. He's twenty one years old, I think. Exactly. Yeah. On the Periphery, we see the storyline between uh, De Niro's character, Jimmy Conway, and I like how the, he describes him like Jimmy – he'd done some hits for the mob, also another Irish guy, but his real passion in life was to rip shit off. <laughs> I know. I know. And uh, everyone that worked in and around the airport knew what what cargo was coming in and out, what what trucks were coming in and out, and that – they were, they were kind of turning a blind eye because what else would you do? Right. You're not going to go up against them. No, you're not. You're not. Right. And you're not going to rat them out either. Yeah. Both of them are going to have dire consequences. Again, a victim in, in a way, victimless crime, right? Victimless crime. Absolutely. Victimless crime. Yep. And, uh, and I, I really want, thought that. <laughs> yeah, and I want to get home to my wife and kids. Probably a exactly. lot of these people are thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Henry is dragged into this double date by Tommy. Because Tommy yep. wants to date this yep. – he's Italian and he wants to date this Jewish, this Jewish broad. Yep. Uh, I had asked you about that. Like, how, that, Was that pretty uncommon probably in your parents' generation to, to – or maybe your grandparents' generation? Very uncommon. You, you wouldn't yeah. cross cross-cultural no. no. lines? No. I, I told you the story about my aunt dating Nick, the Italian – he was a professor from Fordham University, and he was in love with my aunt, and her parents were Irish, and 
my they invited my grandparents to dinner in Bensonhurst to break bread with them and they went reluctantly I'm sure and they had this my aunt said it was a lovely dinner and the grandparents lived in the same house very very reminiscent of what we talked about right. um and there was lots of Sunday gravy and risole and meatballs and they had this lovely dinner with red wine and Nick was charming and he was really smitten with my aunt and and a great dancer and my aunt loved to dance so they have dinner and then they leave. And, he, and he's and going to Fordham, mind you. He's, he's going to Fordham. He's, he's, not, no, he's not a schlep. He's not a schlep not, at all. He's not a schlep. And they're walking to the subway after, and my it's my grandparents and my, my aunt. And my aunt looks at my grandmother and she says, so what did you think of Nick? And in the straightest, most serious face, my grandmother said to her, well, now listen, Joan Christina, you can't be serious about him. He's way too short. Oh, not he's way too not Irish or way too Italian. He's way too short. That's that's what she said. And okay. we know what she meant. That's what and that was it. And my aunt never dated him again. That's that terrible. Was it. That was it. Isn't it? It's but really I don't terrible. know like it just my the saying like I remember my grandparents, not my parents, they would never say anything like this, but it was um stick with your kind. That yeah. that was code. You you get the gist. It yeah, was not, yeah. It was not happening. Those yeah. were the attitudes. So your your parents, oh, maybe a little bit more relaxed during that era, or no? Still, still, uh, still as strict. Um, they were, um, but as we grow older, I think they were just tired at that point. They were probably like, "Oh Jesus, please somebody take off my, <laughs> somebody <laughs> come and get her." <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, they, um, it definitely, like, I would say the, the tide was turning, like, in the, I would say, like, the early 80s, especially in where I'm from. Okay. Um, yeah, in all Long around. It, yeah, because most of my friends, honestly, my Italian girlfriends didn't marry Italian guys. And that's the truth. I, I can name, I have five on my hand right now, five of my Italian friends, and their husbands are not Italian. And I think they did it because, like, my, if my parents were going to say something like that, they would say it because they didn't want to hear it from their parents. Oh, God. I, I, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I think that that's probably 90% of it. It was like, oh, no, you get, if your grandmother gets hold of this, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never hear the end of it. To do. We'll never hear the end of it. Exactly. <laughs> Stick with your kind. Stick with your kind. Oh, Whatever the hell that meant. Yeah. We, we know what it meant. Yeah, we know. But, yeah, my meant. parents never said anything like that to us. But I'm pretty sure my parents have heard that. In, in their time oh, from their boy. parents yeah he me he meets karen and at, at first it he just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. he's got better things to do right <laughs> but it's it's not until the beautiful laurie and brocco who's who's fantastic in this film i think this is her first really big breakout role i think isn't isn't it i mean she might it have is. been in other films but i think this was yeah. the first big lead yeah and she's fantastic she and ray Liotta are they make this film oh, they're yeah, their their chemistry is incredible. Yep. I think I, it's just great. It's great how I don't know how true the scenario is. I think they have Henry Hill in interviews has said that like he, at first he wasn't too interested, but in the book because that's that's quoted I think out of his book is that uh, you know he saw her in that dress and it was like forget it. Right. <laughs> I gotta right. know this girl. And she was so not stereotypical of what they were dating. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they all dated like yes men, but they were women, you know, like you just sat there and looked pretty and, yeah. uh, you know, 
don't speak until spoken to, that kind of thing. She was not. She had a mind of her own, a mouth of her own. And when she was stood up on that day, that was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, her eyes are just uh, I can't. Yeah, yeah. And they just they just made a dynamic couple. They did. They, did. they on, have really good chemistry. On screen, they really did make a dynamic couple. Yep. And, uh, yeah, she's Jewish. And I, I love how when he picks her for the real date, the mother goes, so <laughs> – so Cameron oh. <laughs> tells me, Cameron tells me you're half Jewish, and he goes, "Just the good half." <laughs> you know? Very, very charming. Uh, he was so quick with them too, you know. Yeah, uh, I loved yeah. it, and yeah, it, it's uh, there's that famous scene where he takes her to the Copa, and oh, I love it. it. It's a one long steady cam shot, and it's been broken down um, back from just the whole experience of that of right. that shot. Uh, it's magical, and it is supposed to, you know, Scorsese is trying to kind of capture that. One, I think he's trying to capture the era, and two, just right. the feeling and the thrill, maybe, yeah. of when you first meet someone, you don't know a lot about them, but the the attraction, you know, the chemistry is building, yeah, the pheromones are building, yeah, and, and she's liking more and more that he. The sees part when he walks in, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think her eyes got brighter and brighter as she and became more comfortable with that. Yes. With, you know the power that he had. <laughs> and he's in construction. I love that. Yeah. What do you do so, again? I'm a yeah. union rep. <laughs> <laughs> union rep. <laughs> and so believable when he said it. Like you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, different world. So they go out to. She's like you said. She's not. Uh, she's not from working class. Her her family belongs to a, some country club somewhere. Right. Because they're out at lunch, and she's like, no, no, no. You have to sign for it. You don't. You don't pay. Just sign for it. Right. And well, I don't know who, what his name, Brad or Kenneth or whoever it is that lives across the street from them. Oh yeah. Who's that? You know, Henry. Yeah. Like, who is that? Oh, he's yeah. just a friend. Yeah. And then the the, the yeah. tearful phone call. He's like, "What happened? What happened?" <laughs> he takes I, off. I didn't. Didn't it take you a while? I, I didn't get what was going on there. Honestly, I didn't because I'm thinking, "Well, why would she go out with him? Why would she even get in the car with him?" You know, I couldn't figure out how how that happened. I felt At first like I thought. Go ahead. I thought she was BSing. I don't think I she didn't was, think anything happened. I don't. But then when I saw her, I'm like, "Oh my god, yeah!" And now I'm now I'm seeing it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she was BSing. I think this is what I think. I think there was some history there because he he goes oh, out of his way to introduce himself. Yeah. So obviously there was some history, right. dating history, maybe even a hookup. Yeah. Who knows? Right. And he's kind of to be honest. He's probably Jewish. He's fairly attractive. He lives across the street. He looks yeah. like he's got a you know he's got a nice car. He's you know he's a member of the club, whatever that is. And then yeah, so and they're basically around the same age. So I'm sure. There was some prior hooking up going on there. And yeah. in a way, it was almost the way he acted when he sort of – poor Henry. He's just sitting there like, who is this guy? Right. And right. the way he acts at lunch is sort of almost, uh, what are you doing? And eventually, you know, our parents are – we're supposed to get married. <laughs> it was kind of like that was his attitude. I That right. was my summation of that right. whole interaction like – yeah, well, he, he was looking down on Henry. I I, I could oh, tell that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, what are you doing with this thing here? And then when he 
walks across the street, you knew he was going to get it. And <laughs> they kind of had that, that spark in, in uh, Karen's eyes when, you know, she was half horrified and half, like she said, she, it was kind of a turn on. Yeah. You know? I got to admit. Hide the gun and, she, you know, I mean, yeah. So I, th- opened I, up a... I think when, um, you know, when she says that he, you know, he started pawing her and putting the moves on her. I do think it might have been something as easy as the guy. It's like, oh, I'll give you a lift home because I live right across the street. Maybe you saw her at the club. Right. Maybe you saw her anywhere. And then he just tried yeah. to put the moves on and yeah. she wasn't going to have any of it. And the, But he right. thought I could take liberties and then it got out of hand. Right. I kind of wonder, do you ever wonder why tries to assault her. didn't in, include that little part, like make that scene happen? Oh, I, I kind of wondered that. I wonder if that was a. Yeah, and I didn't research. Uh, you know, you could, read, you could probably read Henry Hill's book, and it would probably get into a greater detail, you know, about maybe the circumstances. Yes. yes. But he, yeah, takes just pistol whips and pistol whip. I mean, pistol smashes oh, he, him. Yeah, he beat the shit out of him, like, like, <laughs> like we used to say. Hide that, this. That was a saying. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think v- right after that, don't we see the uh, the smash of the glass? And yes. uh, or very shortly after that. Yep. And now yeah. we get to one of your favorite scenes in my, oh, <laughs> the wedding. The wedding. The wedding. Do tell about uh. weddings, and and I think one of the things I had asked you is, so typical wedding, with your with your crowd, would I? Uh, would I bring an envelope or would I get a gift in the registry? God, you there would be no registry, first of all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, there would be an engagement registry because we always had an engagement party. And there would be a shower registry, but there would be absolutely no wedding registry. No. It was mm-hmm. it was cash. And it was cash in the envelope, not even the check. It was cash and I had the money bag or you had a box. But the money bag was big back in the day. Okay. So you literally wore the it was a drawstring sack like Karen had, um, and they would you would go from table to table and collect your your envelopes. <laughs> they did it where they came for them at the dais. We did it another way. We did it where we walked around, okay. and then it it really wasn't good because then people wouldn't be in their seats, and then you had to go back second time. Oh God. And, and get what you didn't get the first time. So you tried to go like kind of during dinner or just after dinner when before the dancing re, re starts. Um but on we had I don't know if I touched on this with you, but you always gave enough to cover your plate. That was that was the golden rule. So if it was a fifty dollar plate wedding and you were a couple, you had to give at least a hundred dollars. Right. Um minimum. So you would minimum. A minimum, absolutely. And and if they were family then, you know, you double or triple or quadruple that. But you always put some never like hundreds or if it, you were given 200 you might give 150 to 20 to the 10 and i know it looks tacky but if you're halfway through the wedding and the liquor is not top shelf and maybe the food isn't great then you start dipping into the envelope <laughs> you start subtracting you know a 20 maybe a 10 depending on how bad it was you never you never put more in but you would just if the wedding was spectacular you left it as it was yeah but if it was subpar, then you, you, you take some out. Like, yeah, this isn't worth two hundred dollars, no. Um, but yeah, you always always gave your your um enough to cover your plate. That was that was the rule. Yeah. Now, t- typical wedding fair, uh, wedding like that, we haven't 
Are we having buffet or are we having table? What are we doing? <laughs> oh, you always had to sit down. Yeah, no. Yeah, always had to sit down. Buffets were like a frowned upon. Yeah, oh, okay. No. It was always a sit down. Okay. A sit down with a band, no DJ. I wasn't allowed to have a DJ either. And it was my wedding, but my <laughs> mother said no, no, no DJ. I wasn't allowed. And I had a sit down dinner. Okay. Um, and preferably um, like a cocktail hour. Um, open bar. Always, you... a bo- always an open bar. No was, cash bar. No, That's tacky. No. Oh, my God. No, no. Um, and a Viennese table at the end, which was like a dessert table. Right. That was in addition to the wedding cake because okay. the wedding cake would get cut and served. But there was always a Viennese hour, they called it. And that was like, you know, whatever pastries or cookies, cannolis, um, things like that, that would be out to serve. Um, but, yeah. And, I mean, a good wedding in – I got married in 87. A, a decent wedding would run you probably 25 grand back then. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Great. This okay. is something I have to look forward to, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Some funny stories to share about weddings. Yeah. Uh, our, our weddings oh. always ended badly <laughs> for <laughs> some what? odd reason. Not all of them, but a majority of them ended with either uh, a fist fight, a, a chair thrown, um, <laughs> a camera thrown, um, a drink thrown. Um. Wait, tell me, th- there was a great story about the drink. Oh, that wasn't a wedding, though. That was no, a, that was a that was a christening, even more sacrilege than than a wedding. That um, was, was a christening. <laughs> so yeah. t- it was t- a family member. T- I'm not going to name names, t- but but it was. Um, tell me. Let me tell the story real quick. Don't tell, tell, tell the story about the christening because this is good. It was good. Okay. So I'm home um, at the house um, watching the baby because it was late and our christenings tended, you know, if they were full blown parties after you got out of church. So it had been going on. Now it's like 11 o'clock at night and yeah. I'm home because the baby had, I had taken the baby home. My family members are all still at the, the catering hall and then open the door. The door flies open, and I hear stomping up the stairs, and it's um, my my brother-in-law, followed by my sister, followed by his father, and they're all crying. And I'm like, oh, what, what, what the hell happened here? And, and it comes out in the in the banter that my mother decided that my her son-in-law who was the baby's father mm-hmm. was paying too much time at the bar and not paying enough attention to his family and i guess his daughter who wasn't even there anymore because she was home sleeping she was four days old she didn't know any better oh god so my in my mother's wisdom she thought that the the good way to get his attention was to throw a drink in his face oh god which she did and in <laughs> you know and he didn't he didn't i mean react I mean, he might have said, what the hell did you do that for? But it was the sheer, his, he was there with his cronies, uh, his buddies, his firemen brothers, because they were firemen brothers. Oh, not good. And, and the disrespect, um, Beth, it's the disrespect. that. So he's telling me this because I don't know what's going on. And his father comes up behind him and he's crying and he starts yelling at him about the disrespect of the family 
And I'm thinking, well, well, wait a minute, who did he disrespect? And it's my mother that put the drink, you know, unless I, I missed something. You he missed something, drink back at her. Jean? But, but I, I know, but it was the, just that he knew my mother was right in a way, in a sick way. Yeah. Um, and he had his suit jacket was off, his tie was off, but he had his like button down dress shirt on and his still his um, suit pants and he ripped open his shirt. This Buttons is, flying and all. This is the father. The father to the son. To the and son. Like I just disowned you. That's what that <laughs> meant. And and this screaming back and forth at each other. Now he's crying even more because now he's disowned by his own father. Yeah. And my sister's crying and they tell him he has to leave. My father tells him that this is his house because they live again. It's the high ranch. They're upstairs. Oh God. Yeah. And the other brothers in the basement. And the father and the mother are in the middle floor. And the father tells him, now you're disowned. Now you have to leave. Can't stay here. This is my house. Oh, my God. So he leaves and he spends the night. I believe he ends up at my godmother's house. I don't know how, but he did. So I go now I go home and I like I know what happened from one standpoint, not the other. Um, now I go home and my mother and father are in a full blown. Like my father is distraught that my mother has done this. Uh, yeah, he can't. He's like, Patricia, that's the worst thing you could have ever done. What would you possess? You know what? And my mother, to this day, Beth, she was indignant. She was like, oh, are you? No. There was no apology. No, I made a mistake. Oh, no. Nope. He deserved that. He disrespected my family at this. That's what she thought. He disrespected our family at this christening by disrespect i don't know what he i don't know what she was thinking but she was sticking with that story and and, I, I kinda, and it was just in, in a way though it's it's a christening so maybe she looked at your right. at this and i get that but you know there was a way like my dad said diplomatically you could have gone up to him and said you know anthony could speak to you for a second you know said what you wanted to say and then he was going to ignore you anyway but you know you could have throwing a drink was and and that that followed my mother for years because that did not die down quickly. That was, I'm going to tell you right now. That was a that was a did, sore spot. Did that go for on for years? <laughs> it went on for years. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And like my mother used to say, like you know how they always like, oh, it's you know, forgive because it's it, it's for you when you forgive somebody, you're you're getting it off your heart. My my mother's we take that shit to the grave. There's no forgiving or forgetting. No, you take it with you. You know what? <laughs> I understand this. I yeah. understand this though, because some people do not deserve forgiveness, and there Absolutely. are some transgressions in life that you just went too far. They're not so difficult. They're not so difficult. You cannot Absolutely. be forgiven. It, that's yeah. just the way it is. You must live and with like, that shame. I tried to tell. I told my mother, listen, there's no. You can't apologize your way out of this. There's no going back from this. The only thing you can do is just move on and not pretend it didn't happen, but try and just. I said, for God's sakes, do better. Don't ever throw a drink in anybody's face again because that's never going to end in, you know, but it, 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 it was beyond anything that was forgivable because not only did we witness it or they witness it, 100 other people witnessed it because our christenings were huge. <laughs> so there was probably 100 other people in there that all witnessed and we live in a small town. So word spreads like wildfire. So if you weren't there and saw it, you heard it the next day because my family, my my husband's side of the family were also there and they but they weren't there then and they heard it the next day so word spread like wildfire and there was no going back from that for my mother no 
but again, she wasn't thinking about it. She thought, well, he deserved it, and I'm not taking it back. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> your daughter's not speaking to you now, and you'll never see your grandchild again, so how did that work for you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so who threw the chair? What was that? That was at a wedding. Oh, uh, that was at, that was actually my wedding. Oh, wait a minute. No, I think it was, actually, I think it was the same sister's wedding, because oh there's a lot God. of troublemakers in that. that what a wedding. Oh, what a, there. Yeah, okay. The same and there was 235 of their closest friends at oh my that God. wedding. They was at, my wedding was only 165. Theirs was 235. Oh, my God. And I think it was, um, again, it was alcohol. It was the end of the night. There was alcohol involved. Um, and somebody touched somebody's camera. And, <laughs> and I guess he was told not to. And then he must have picked it up like, oh, is this what you wanted? Is this what you're talking about, this thing? And then he became irate. And his first thought was to pick up the chair and throw it at him. And he did miss him, um, but it bounced off the wall. And then the camera busted because it flew up in the air because he was trying to dodge getting hit with a, a chair. Yeah. Um, but it was always a fist, a chair, a something. It was always <laughs> mayhem at the end of the Nothing ever. We never walked out of a caring hall peacefully. Something always went wrong <laughs> or happened. Or And, and like I said, I, I blame it on alcohol because we always had open bars and like I said, the weddings lasted a long time. So, um, yeah. And then the next day, it would be it would be all forgiven, with the exception of the drink in the face. Um, yeah. Everything else, the next day, we'd be like, you know, they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. The chair I'm being thrown across the room. It's okay. Right. I didn't mean to throw the chair. It's <laughs> good. Or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was drunk. Whatever. Um, it's okay. That, that part. Yeah. That, okay. that was that was that passed. But the drink, uh, no, that that stung for a while. I'm gonna tell you, that stung for a couple of years. Oh. And I and he would not. Um, I can say this because she'll never listen to this because they divorced after 25 years. Okay. And I'm telling you, on year 24, he was still throwing that in her face. Oh <laughs> I'm not my kidding. God. Yeah, it yeah. would be like whenever she would act crazy or act, you know, or do something that would like piss him off. He, I know he'd be throwing that. Well, look at your mother. You're just like her. She <laughs> she's doing <laughs> this in my face. Did did your did your um? Oh, what was I gonna say? Did did the father did the father ever forgive him? His yes. Okay. Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I would say that's the first of a couple of times he did telling Tim. That wasn't the first time. There were, there were a few times did after he, that. Did he rip a shir um, shirt every single time? <laughs> no. One time he didn't have one. One time he just had a t-shirt on. Oh God. Um, but um, he was um he was a hardworking um. I think he was a second generation Italian American. Um, okay. He was a, a he was an electrician. He wasn't he was a sweet man, but he had. One, two, three. He had three sons, and the last one is the one I'm talking about. Was the one that just put him over the edge. I mean, he just—he yeah. was—he was a wise guy, is what he was. Oh, okay. And in, in 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 layman terms, he was a wise guy. Yeah. Everybody was afraid of him, gotcha. and I'm being I'm being straight because he fought. He was a street fighter. He fought dirty. Okay. So, um, yeah, he wasn't, and I guess that was my attraction that my sister had with him. We don't know what it was ever. Um, yeah. I remember when she came home and, and said she was getting married, and my, <laughs> never forget it. She was, because she was 19. He was older. He was huh. 19, 20, 20. He was, he was three years older than her. And I remember my sister saying, What? Mom, <laughs> you're going to let this happen? And my mother was like, Oh, oh yeah, I'm going to let that happen. <laughs> like, you know, because she was a pain in the ass too. So they yeah. were like, they were meant to be together. My mother was like, oh yeah, take her. Let, you want to get married? Sure. Get married. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, told by my grandmother that her grandfather referred to his grandchildren as his treasures. My treasures. Yeah. You are all my yeah. treasures. And that nothing else was more important. So, yeah, every christening was – there was nothing more important than that. Oh, no. Once you Especially have in them, that culture and that religion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Once you have and them – And she was the first girl, too. So yeah. it was – I mean, the, the sun rose and set on, on her, really. And I just feel like, yeah, I don't know if we – at some point we – you know – well, well, now we get accused of, of helicoptering and, and loving too much. Exactly. So what right. the fuck right. do you want? What do you do? I think I'm I'd a... rather love too much. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a drone. I'm not even a helicopter mom. I'm, I'm, I'm a drone. drone. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I don't care. Flying over to Colorado once in a while. I do. Yep. <laughs> following following <laughs> kids to work. <laughs> yep. Do what you got to do. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yep. So they get married, but – and I, I found – this goes along with what you were saying about the uh, the high ranch, because at this time it is Long Island, and yes. he's living with his in-laws. Yes. Yes. And it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not good. No. No. And and, and, very... and not even their own section of the high ranch. They were in her like her childhood bedroom. Yeah. Where you like see when the mother and father are waiting on the couch for him to come home, you know, and he... you see the headlights come in the driveway and. She goes running out, you know. Like, yeah, they didn't I, really have a chance because Karen's mother was all over it. Yeah, you know? she was. I thought it was funny because, like, he comes home and and the mother's like, yell, the mother-in-law is yelling and screaming at him, and he just yes. goes right back out. Yeah, so. when Tommy's waiting in the car and they yeah. take off. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. we are. Two things happen after he gets married. He winds up. Um, we we find out he's he's got a girl inside. A guma was it guma? Is that the yeah. <laughs> expression? <laughs> yep. Got a guma. On the side. And Janice. Yeah. Janice? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Billy Bats gets out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's he's running the restaurant that they've they've uh, kind of swindled out of the, the owner. <laughs> yeah. We won't get into how that happened, but right. uh Billy Bats is a made man. This then this right. is in the book. This really happened. Oh, this is a lot of the film is very accurate. Yes. As far as the details go, I mean, some of them are. We skip over the whole fact that uh, Henry Hill was in the in the army of the Marines or something for two years. I didn't even know that. I didn't either. And um, there's an there's an interview that I'll link in our episode description where he he says that he made several attempts. To kind of get out, but it was the it was just too strong. And even when he was in the military, he was he was finding ways to scam and make money. Uh, okay. So, uh, he, so he I think he, there was a couple of court marshals or whatever. But he he's out, and then he goes he immediately goes back to Polly, and to the the life he had before. Um. But Billy Bats is a made man, and none of them are. Because the rule is, as it's explained, you have to be – we talked about this just a little while ago. A Sicilian, and you, they have to trace your right. lineage all the way back to the old country. Right. And I told, sure. I told you I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. And, and uh, it starts because supposedly he he's insulted Tommy. Right. And so Tommy and Jimmy Conway – basically beat him to death in the bar. Right. That's right. an interesting scene because Tommy 
after they, they do the deed, Tommy's like upset and saying, I didn't mean, you know, to make a mess on your right. floor, Henry. Right. So it's almost apologetic. Right. And yeah, in order to whack a made guy, you have to ask permission because it, right. it's protection too when you're made. Right. And there, Jimmy Conway, played by Robert De Niro, is is very funny when when they're in in the car and he stops off at the mother's house. Oh my god, my favorite <laughs> for the breakfast. I don't know what it is because I mentioned to you like, what is he pouring ketchup on? Is he pouring ketchup on eggs? Is he pouring eggs. ketchup on meatloaf? Yep. <laughs> a cutlet? Yeah. Did she make cutlets? She insisted on making them breakfast. <laughs> and and the, the the role of of the of Tommy's mother is played by uh, Martin Scorsese's real mother. Right. And she's yeah. been in oh, other films of his too. Yes, and she's such the part. <laughs> you know what I mean? She just is. She's the epitome of of what what it would be. I I love her accent. Catherine Scorsese, yeah. Even the painting, like. Oh, I love that. He's like, "What do you want from me?" He's like, "We've got, got one dog." Pesci's like, "We got one dog going one way, and then another dog looking another way, and then right." Well, please and, don't draw anymore. Please don't paint anymore, religious. <laughs> <laughs> I need this knife. I need a knife, Ma. I need a shovel and a knife. Right. And oh, she was she was cute. Uh, it, really great, great in the film. And she wants to be when are you, when are you going to settle at, at Henry's wedding? When are you going to settle, settle, settle down? down? I know. I don't want to settle Why down. Why am I going to settle down? I got you, I got Ma. You. But the whole, that whole scene is to convey just sort of the genuine affection and closeness that he has with his, yeah. with his own mother. Yep. And uh, they, they, they go to bury Billy Bats and, and come to find out he's, he's not dead. Right. Stab him like four Stump times. Stump in a trunk. Oh my God! Yeah. And then it is true uh, they did have to move the body later uh, because something was happening to that property, so they couldn't just leave it there. So they did have to d dig it up. And uh, in the meantime, the the guma is is discovered by Karen. When you talk about when she goes to the apartment and is ringing the bell. Well, there, there's the ringing the bell, but then she pulls the gun on Henry. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. joke with you that my uh, my mother had had used to joke with uh, my stepfather. Uh, no, we never considered divorce. Homicide, yes, but never. Divorce. Oh my God, that's so funny. Well, my husband says that I'd be too expensive to divorce me. It'd be cheaper to kill me. Oh God, that's just. But yeah, isn't that nice? it's hard to convey. Do you know what I mean? There, yeah. there's a certain sensibility that is hard to explain to people. Yeah. Uh, that it is a joke. Yeah. But oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it it definitely doesn't it doesn't come across like one. I guess yeah. I guess we're very you know. Uh, yeah. I don't want to say sensitive, but outside of certain cultural circles, you know, you can't joke about stuff like no, that. No, absolutely so, no, yeah. no, right. And that scene when they're in when he t she takes them to visit him in prison. And she sees the girl's name on the, the registry, and then she starts arguing with him. And then he's holding the little girl, and he's, like, trying to shield her. Like, Karen, I have no control over – and it, it just touched me that here is this mobster, this violent, basically, man, and he's trying to shield his little girl from hearing what 
not that so much that she knew what the mother was saying, but just the fact that she was screaming at her father in this strange place that she doesn't, doesn't she's not know. familiar with. Yeah. She doesn't know what's going on. No, you know, so kind of like touched me that, okay, he might be a jerk, but here he is trying to be a decent father while she's breaking him over the coals, you know. I mean, I mean, there's, they're, t- they're both trying to be, they're both trying to be normal parents in, in these really abnormal circumstances. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and she just wants to hold on to her marriage. Right. <laughs> and he doesn't think anything of Janice, his guma, no. you know, it was no, just fun. Doesn't. I was right. having so much fun with Janice fun. is what yeah. what he says. Uh, Karen apparently calls in reinforcements. So she's she's telling Polly like this is what's going on and like, like he doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> Polly doesn't. was at the apartment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he knew exactly there. where I mean, where God. she was set up. Exactly. And Polly I love the expression like Jimmy Conway's like this 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 is what it is, right? We're, who are we kidding? Polly's saying what what are we? Animale, <laughs> we're not going right. to divorce our exactly. wives. You have children. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go with Jimmy. You're going to take care of a thing down in Florida, and and then you're going to come back, and it's going to be nice. It's going to be beautiful and romantic, yeah. just like when you first started dating. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Sorvino, who plays Polly, does a, an amazing. Oh, uh, I love him. Yep. He's great in everything he's ever been in. You know. Yep. God bless. He, but that's what gets him nabbed and in jail. Is that the the guy that they rough up to get money back from that he's that they that this guy owes down in Florida? Apparently, his sister worked for uh, I think right. was a, a cleric or worker was, for what the FBI or FBI. <laughs> it was the FBI, like of all of all people. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. he goes down and he's in prison. Yep. And Polly Polly winds up in prison briefly for obstruction, or right. he only served a few months. But then we get that yeah. wonderful. A dinner scene inside prison. Yeah. It, was, it really wasn't a prison. It was just a country club for felons. Yeah. Yes. And then Scorsese said that they no, they spoke to guards. They spoke to people that were actually either on the the guard side or the the gangster side, and that, that this stuff really did go on. You know. Th- oh, I this believe stuff that. Happened. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Their time yeah. was not like other people's time. One of the things that Henry does while he's in prison to survive and get by is is start to deal drugs. So, so when he's released, and I like I like the way that's shot, Gene. Did you notice he's released and the, the camera's on him, and you're wondering which woman is going to be there? Absolutely. To pick him up. <laughs> yep. Uh, did you think it was going to be Karen? I would. I the way that was shot and the pause made you wonder. Yeah. But then I think the message that Scorsese is sending is that no, it's always it's always yeah. the family. It's always, always family. the wife. Yeah, absolutely. It's yep, always you're right. Yeah. Henry starts diverging from the one thing that you can't do during this era, which is deal drugs. Yeah. But he's he he learned that he could make a lot of money. Right. And even though Polly is is welcoming him and he's like, Okay, you did what you had to do to survive, but now you gotta you gotta stay away from that. Right, right. So he starts doing the dealing. He's getting the drugs sourced from out of town, from Pittsburgh, right? So that Polly won't know about it. But eventually, it's all going to blow up in his face. And not only was a drug dealer, he was a drug user, which is a double no-no. Yeah, because he gets Karen in, involved too. Like they're, right. they're, they're, they're he's trying to the dealer yep. and the brother, and don't forget to stir the sauce. While yeah, and, but I'm gonna make dinner. Yeah, through the, <laughs> all this, 
the priority of food pops up once again. I had to make the meatballs. I had to do the veal. I had to make the pork. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And don't forget to stir it. Keep stirring it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The brother in the wheelchair. <laughs> I'm stirring. I'm stirring. There's an elaborate system that he's got with the the babysitter, and apparently Karen's in on it. She knows what's yes. going on there. Yeah. Oh my God! I have to get my favorite blanket. Uh, uh, that scene, that that line. I have yeah. to get my. Well, it was a blanket, right? I don't travel without it. No, it's a hat because I have to travel with my lucky okay. hat. Okay, my hat. And he's like, uh, he's enraged. He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's dead serious. She's like, and calm. Like, no, I, I can't go anywhere without it. No, okay. Before this, we find out though. Jimmy and Henry are sitting there at the diner because we find we think that. Tommy's finally going to – they're going to open up the books and finally make Tommy because Tommy is yeah. a Sicilian. Yeah, they wipe him out. Because he b broke a cardinal rule, which is you don't. Right. He also adds it, you know, that they shot him in the face, so his mother couldn't even give him an Can't. open casket. Yeah. The ultimate disrespect. And then it, having seen the earlier scene with Tommy and his mother, it's, it's like a gut punch. You're starting to feel yeah. the gut punch they do. I like the way he words it. He, he's like, it's the highest honor they can pay you. And, you know, we could never be made because we're not Sicilian. But right. when Tommy, you know, the thought of Tommy getting made, it's like we have, we're being made, our crew's being made. We'll have some protection. We'll have some status. But it makes you wonder, like, why they wouldn't have put a hit out on, uh, on Henry or Jimmy Conway. Unless it's just about like you're you're not made and you're earning, both of you are earners. Right. If this isn't your you know? this isn't your business. It's ours. Right. And we take care. We yeah. take out our own or take care of you know our business ourselves. But the way he, I mean, Robert De Niro's character, the way he took that, oh, it was just heartbreaking. It really was. It, like it, he really, really like. I mean, Henry. Yeah, he was upset, but he wasn't upset. Robert De Niro really, I, I don't know, the way he broke down and then he would like gather himself and then he'd break down again. And, you know, and Henry didn't know what to do. He's standing there kind of like trying to half console him and not, you know, I mean, yeah. I guess he thought too, like, well, Jesus, if, if, if he can get whacked, then what about the rest of us? I mean, you know, yeah, that would give you, points. we're nothing. He gets whacked before Lufthansa because he's not around for Lufthansa. That I, that I think is what keeps them from getting whacked because yeah. they, they make a big score with Lufthansa. Absolutely. Lufthansa absolutely, you're absolutely right. was – at first the estimate was like something like $4 million. They uh, late, Later they believe now all tallied between cash and jewels or other – Jewels and gold bars and um, – Was something yeah. like $6 million, which is yeah. still to this day the largest this, hi, right. heist, cash heist yep. in U.S. history. Yep. Major, major, major crime. Crazy caper. And and you had mentioned before you loved that scene. Like you had all, you said this earlier uh, when we were talking that you always consider this a Christmas movie. <laughs> I know it's sick, isn't it? I know because yeah. <laughs> of the one the one scene, the one scene, the one scene the at the end of the movie where they're right uh, when the Ronettes are playing Frosty the Snowman and they're all coming in with their their Christmas gifts to each other that <laughs> they were told not to buy. <laughs> and, he, and they're ripping the fur coat off the wife. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's You're telling them back. cars in his sister's name, and he's like, I told you. And, you know, then the next thing you know, he's singing the dirt song himself. And, yeah, just all of them, they all went. All the fur, fur lady's husband and uh, 
the Cadillac owner will like, but uh, yeah, it's sick. I know it's sick, but I it just, I equate that to Christmas for some odd reason. <laughs> yeah. In his book, uh, Henry Hill says that um, he thinks that Conway just didn't, just didn't want to share the money. <laughs> and, and they get to a point where like, okay, am I next? The same thing with, and then we right. have that scene where, and, and then that happens all before uh, Henry gets, basically gets arrested by narcotics agents. He was thinking right. it's the feds, but no, it's just exactly. local law enforcement because of the yep. drugs. The drugs got Because of the damn drugs, yep. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, you have that last scene with him and Paul Sorvino. Again, with the sausages. I know, Again, right? with the sausages. I know. And he gives him something like five grand or three. It was even less than that, I think. Like here in the, it was and then, three grand. I think you're right. And and he and Polly goes, I got to turn my back on you. Yeah. Ouch. It's sort of like the ripping of the shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> I disown you. I disown you. Yep. But, you know, he told him what to do and he didn't do it. And... Like you said, he got a distance. He was distancing himself from from that and and the life that Henry made for himself. I couldn't. I don't know that I could live like that. Just turn my back on someone. I I know it's yeah. a necessary evil. That's your business. If you're Polly, yeah, exactly. that's like it's self preservation. Exactly. I don't know you. He's got to do something. So he decides yeah. to testify and go into witness testify. protection. Yeah. The reality yeah. is. And he says in this interview that we're going to link in the episode description that as bad as it seems in the film, after he testifies, like if you break off this point in the timeline of his life, it got really hairy and dangerous for him even after. Oh, I'm went. sure. Yeah. And and Karen did say – you know they were looking for him. Yes, you know, they were. You know they were. And yeah. at one time there was a contract out on him, like a multi-million dollar contract yeah. out on him. And, they, and he had been – had to be really relocated a few times. Yeah. Because the feds had actually come in at one point and said, "Word has it they're closing in on you. We got to move yeah. you." Yeah. And I like how Karen was like she's naive enough to think, "Well, I can't ever see my parents again." And the, and the agent is like, "Yeah, no. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you not understand? Like, I mean, they, he knows it's it's either that or he's dead. I mean, he's dead either way. It's just going to take him yeah. longer to find him in the witness protection program." Well, nobody ever got to him. That's um, true. And I, That's let me true. see when he's let me see when he died. And he kept himself quiet, unlike Sammy the Bull. I don't know. Gotti was pretty powerful. Yeah, so he was. Henry Hill died in 2012. Okay. And the funny thing is, is that uh, toward the end of his life, he he was more public. I mean, he was showing up on radio talk shows and things like yeah. that, and doing interviews. Yeah. Probably get to the point where you're like, oh, I don't. And, and he's published some books. He's not hiding. Yeah. He wasn't hiding anymore. But nobody came after him. And I think by then, the t uh, you know some several big busts uh, of organized crime, right? And they were taking the teeth and the claws out of uh, the mafia in in New York City, which yeah. is I hate to say this, but in a way I think this sounds bad. This this sounds like I'm advocating for organized crime. I think once they finally got John Gotti, though, that was kind of like, like a notice. Like, yeah, we finally got him. So yeah, and you know, he was he was Teflon Don for so long they they couldn't touch him, and nothing stuck to him. Henry says what what the cops never understood is the mob is for 
our own police force for for wise guys. So if, if somebody's doing something wrong, we we enforce things on yeah, ourselves. Yeah, they police themselves actually. Yeah, you know, we're policing yeah. ourselves. There were many demands put on him. That he had to testify on a, on a bunch right. of trials. Right. And a lot right. of a lot of criminals were put away because of. Yep. His testimony. And then he just went back to being a regular Joe Schmo, you know, like a. Yeah, that's you know, a great no, line. Nobody special. Yeah, it's a great line. I ordered what a pasta with marinara, and I got uh, noodle, uh, egg noodles and ketchup. <laughs> egg noodles. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I I love the film, and it makes me hungry for Italian food. <laughs> I know. I know. We have to go break bread somewhere one time. I I, I would love to. Let's go. Yeah, out. I know a place. I know a place. Do you know? Do you know a guy? Great film. Highly recommend. Yes, I'm go. I'm off to the book now. Now you got me on it. No, you should. You should. And Absolutely. You, should, you and Greg should definitely watch The Irishman. Oh, that's that's coming Monday morning. I'll I'll text you when I land in JFK. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, are you going up this weekend then, huh? On uh, Monday. Awesome. To a wedding. Oh my God. <laughs> a wedding. I'm scared. I'm gonna yeah. need reports. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, Italian Greek wedding, so we'll see. It should be interesting. Italian Greek wedding. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I have my cash in the envelope. I'm ready to go. Oh, okay. All right. You're going to come to my daughter's wedding whenever that happens, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I promise I'll find somebody to throw a drink on. <laughs> All right. Please do. Otherwise, I'm, my mother's not here anymore, but, you know, I could pinch it in, in, in a, if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jean. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your uh, enthusiasm for this film. I, we love Goodfellas. I love it, and I love that you had me on. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, safe travels. Yes, we'll, we will. Thank you. Um, are, are you going to are, are you going to be back for Thanksgiving, or are you spending Thanksgiving? No, we spending. Oh yeah, the whole family Thanksgiving as well. Oh my God. Yeah, all in one catering hall. Jeez. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm a little yeah. jealous. Uh, it should be lots of fun, lots have of some, stories. Have some gabagool for me. Oh, I will, definitely, yeah. Right. <laughs> Guys, thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, we really appreciate you, and thank you for sticking with us because I know it's been uh, – we've been a little sluggish here with with our episodes, but we're trying to – we're just plodding along, trying to keep putting out episodes. And, Gene. Thank you for stepping in. You've been, along with our, a lot of our other guest hosts, you've been a lifesaver, so we appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Anytime. Yeah. All right. Guys, as we say, watch something different, read something new, be good to each other, and have a good night. Say good night, Gene. Good night. Chin-chin. Chin-chin. Happy, Happy uh, turkey day. Gobble, yes. Gobble. <laughs>